It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. Hello, everyone. You're listening, as always, to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I am, of course, Show, and thank you, as always, for tuning in. I think. Today, I want to talk about a number of different things. Before we get to the reviews, I actually rewatched, thanks to Netflix, Ghostbusters last night. And I should say I watched the new Ghostbusters with, you know, Kate McKinnon, Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Leslie Jones. And I hadn't watched it since it came out a number of years ago. And I guess I was interested because it came up in, you know, I don't know how Netflix is algorithms work it came up in one of their i guess i want to say their targeted things like you watch the hitman's bodyguard so you will be interested in ghostbusters hitman's bodyguard was pretty funny by the way but anyways ghostbusters we'll talk about that in a sec and i also wanted to talk about cinema now cinema i should say is spelled s-i-n-e-m-i-a cinema right? Cinemia? No, probably meant to be cinema, given it's about movies. And it's basically a Canadian version of MoviePass. So if you guys have ever heard of or used MoviePass, it is a a subscription-based service in the United States where you can essentially, essentially pay up front, I believe, and you get a number of movie tickets based on the plan you selected, right? So I can't speak to MoviePass because it's not available in Canada. I've, I've been tempted to get it if only because I feel like I would use it if I ever got on to visit my cousins, for example. But, you know, one of them now lives with me, having moved up from New York. He's my roommate, lots of fun. Um, and he's actually someone I go see a lot of these movies I talk about on the podcast with. But my other cousin, who I'm pretty close with, he lives in Orlando. But, I mean, I'm not going down there enough to justify the price tag because you're paying on a yearly basis, right? So if you don't use your number of tickets per month, then... I don't know. It's not really worth it. So let me give you an example on cinema, right? So if you buy the plan, I bought, for example, here, let's click on the, I'm going to do it right now, actually. Let's do it. Uh, I bought the single ticket plan a few months ago, right? And I've already used my tickets for July. So I used my tickets for July on Skyscraper and Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think. We're talking about Skyscraper on the podcast today. It's going to be one of the movies we review. But it's kind of cool. So you can choose, let's see, classic, one movie ticket per month. And they're having a promo right now, $3.99. You can buy two movie tickets per month, $6.99. Those are the classic versions. Any theater, any blackout days, advanced ticket. But those are for normal, I guess, quote-unquote, plans and the other ones are elite and two two movie tickets per month at $8.99 a month. And every feature in classic plan includes... 3D and an experience in IMAX or 4DX and more. So I bought the Elite one. They actually had a different sale around Canada Day because, of course, it's a Canadian company. And it wasn't too bad. I think I paid 120 bucks up front for myself to go see two movie tickets a month, essentially, right? And it's not bad, actually. It's, it's pretty cool. I, I admit I made a mistake. I thought two movie tickets per month. I, I guess I just misread it, and I thought it meant I could buy two movie tickets per month for, let's say, me... And I, I think I, I thought I could buy four. It was four movie tickets a month, essentially. Like it was two movie tickets, two trips to the movies, I should say, 
But what it is, it's two actual tickets, right? So I could go my, go to my go with my cousin to see one movie with me and him, and I can pay for us both using cinema, or I could pay for my ticket using cinema, and then he could use buy it on his own, and then we could do it again another time in the month, right? So I misread it. My fault, but it's actually a pretty good service. I kind of thought it was a scam, to be completely honest. I 100% thought it was some form of a scam. I don't know why, I guess. I mean, MoviePass has been pretty successful, even though I'm, I, I'm at a loss as to how they make money, because let me put it this way. I think after tax, using the promo, when I paid for my cinema subscription for 12 months from July 1st, let's say, to July 1st of next year, of 2019, I paid, I think, plus tax, about $135, Right. So consider that I like to go see movies in IMAX. I like to go see movies in Ultra AVX, which here in Canada means the reserved seating. I like to go see movies. I don't like to go see movies in 3D, but a lot of the big blockbuster movies that I will be using cinema for come out in 3D. And unless you want to wait weeks at a time to actually go see the movie, which I don't want to do, uh, you you have to go see it in 3D, right? For example, Ant-Man and the Wasp or Avengers Infinity War. Both of those movies were nowhere to be found in 2D anywhere in Toronto unless you wanted to travel out to the middle of nowhere, right? Which I frankly am not interested in doing. There's a theater very near to my apartment, so I'm going to go see it there, right? So in that sense, I sprung for the 130 bucks, but because I can go see two movies a month in IMAX, AVX, 3D, etc., that is, let's say... $18 a ticket, let's say $20 a ticket to go see it in IMAX, right? I think it's $18.99, so plus tax, it's about $20, bucks, let us say, right? So it's $40 a month. 40 times 12 is a lot more than 135 So I actually feel like if I go, or me, I'm a bad example because I obviously go see a lot of movies, but if you are someone who even just goes to see one movie a month and you go see all of those movies in 3DX, or Ultra AVX in 3D, I should say, could really mash those two terms together, uh, then you'll be getting your money's worth, I feel like. And then even more so for me, I feel like by the time I get to January, my Ultra or my uh, cinema subscription will have been paid for by itself, right? So that's pretty cool. I, I quite enjoy the service so far. I'm excited to see what they do going forward. I think I'm going to wait until another sale because I really do want to expand my account to two people going to the movies a month. I mean, I guess I, I have that, right? I, like, like I just said, I have two tickets a month. So I could go to one movie essentially for free. I don't want to say for free because I paid for it. But I could go to one movie a month without having to bust out my debit card because it's already been paid for versus two movies a month, which is technically four tickets if I go with another person. And like I said, I go with my roommate pretty often because he likes movies, maybe not as much as I do, but I think we like to spend time together. We're, like I said, we're cousins, so it's always fun to hang out and talk about the movies afterwards. We've seen a lot of the ones I've talked about on the podcast together, like I've mentioned. So I'm interested to see how that works, although I don't think I can get I can get quite the discount. It says they're having some discount right now. That's three ninety nine a month, and I want the I want that price on eight ninety nine a month. But you know what? We'll see. We'll see what happens with cinema. I'm interested to see how long it'll stick around for, right? Because I'll tell you this: if Cineplex comes out with a plan like Cinema, right? If Cineplex comes out and says, "Pay me one hundred and fifty bucks, one hundred and sixty bucks, and you get a gold scene card or something, right? Or you get a a gold Cineplex special card or whatever the heck they want to call it. And they said, pay me even 200 bucks for a year and you can go see as many movies as you want. You can go see as many movies as you want and you get a 10% discount on popcorn or something. And even you know what? Let me take that out of there. Even if they said, you don't 
Get any discount on any of the concessions. You pay full price for the concessions. You can use your scene points, I guess, because you're allowed to do that already. But if you get, pay 200 bucks and you can see as many movies as you want, you know what? See a cinema because I would love that. I think that'd be really cool. I don't think that's really going to happen, although I would be pleasantly surprised and I would be on all on board if it was. But regardless, cinema is a passable service for now. But I think if you are, it's only worth it if you are someone like me, right? It's only worth it if you're going to the movie more than two, three times a month. Because if you are, then you might as well buy the service and save a few dollars, right? Because I think I waited this long because I think it came out and some friends actually told me about it a few months ago and it told me I should talk about it on the podcast. And I kind of, I kind of waited because I wanted to, to use it for myself. I didn't want to talk about it and not have used it, but it's pretty accessible. Use your app. It gives you kind of like a digital credit card. And then you use that credit card to pay for your movies on the actual cin- So you basically check out on Cineplex's website, let's say, as you usually would. And then you just enter your, uh, you enter your payment information that the app gives you, and then it processes, and it works pretty seamlessly. So that's where, that's a pleasant surprise. I, I kind of like I said, I kind of thought it was a scam to begin with. So it's nice to hear that it is not a scam, right? So, anyways, in that case, we'll see where it goes. I'm interested to see how long it stays sticks around because I honestly wonder how they make money. But I guess we'll see. Maybe it's all because you pay all up front instead of a monthly basis, even though they tell you it's three ninety nine, but it's actually three ninety nine a month, which is paid out over twelve. You pay in one installment for twelve months, but. Regardless, cinema is a pretty interesting service. And like I said, if you go see movies a lot, if you're even going to, if you're going even more than once a month, you might as well buy the the smallest three ninety nine a month plan because it is worth it. Before we get to the chat about Ghostbusters, kind of a retrospective is that is that allowed to? Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. It hasn't been out for that long, but. I wanted to talk about those trailers, actually. Comic-Con is... I want—I don't know if it's actually done. I actually forget how long Comic-Con is. I've never actually been to the San Diego Comic-Con. There's one in Toronto, Fan Expo, but and everyone just calls it Comic-Con, even though that's not what it's called. But whatever, that's just me being pedantic. Uh, as you know, I can be a little bit pedantic sometimes. But Comic-Con, apart from the actual you know, comic stuff you can find there, they actually have... It's not really... I don't know why it's called Comic-Con anymore. It's not a convention for comics, right? It's a convention for pretty much all forms of media. They have video game things that debut there. They have uh, TV stuff and movie stuff is usually the are the big things now, right? The big draws. And as far as I can tell... Yesterday and maybe all throughout the convention, a lot of the movie trailers debuted. There were a number that I saw. I watched them all last night, kind of in a row to prepare myself for, to talk about it very briefly today. There was Shazam, the DC cartoon movie. There was the Godzilla, King of the Monsters. There was the new Fantastic Beasts. And there's one other one I, I'm, I'm forgetting right now. I think it uh, was another DC. Oh, Aquaman. That's what it was. Aquaman. There was a, there was a trailer for Aquaman as well. All of those trailers look pretty cool, honestly. I admit that I've heard the name, the word Shazam before, but I've never actually interacted with the source material at all, right? I'm not actually very familiar with Shazam as a property when compared to all the things from the rest of, you know, the DC universe, I guess, right? I'm mostly familiar with, you know, Wonder Woman, Superman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Batman, etc., right? But I'm not really so much familiar with Shazam. So in that sense, I felt like I was looking at the trailer as an outsider, a relative outsider, and it looked pretty fun. Zachary Levi is a treat. I almost feel like the movie, the trailer did a pretty good, cha- uh, pretty good job, I should say, of 
saying of, of telling you what the movie is about without giving too much of it away. I mean, clearly it's an origin story. How this kid is Shazam in in disguise, I guess, or the, 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 or you know he has the powers to turn into Shazam, even though he is still a little kid or a teenager, let's say. And it looks pretty interesting. Uh, Zachary Levi seems... I don't know if he's typecast, but he seems to be playing Chuck, but with actual superpowers, right? Like the TV show Chuck with actual superpowers, which is kind of funny. At the very least, I'm I'm interested to see it. It looks funny. It looks like DC, along with Aquaman, which we'll talk about now, but it looks like DC is kind of trying to consciously move away from the grimdark stories they tried to tell, right? Because with Suicide Squad, which sucked... I'm sorry, that movie sucked. I don't care if it won an Oscar. It sucked. With Suicide Squad, they clearly tried to move away from the whole grim, dark thing of Christopher Nolan, which worked for that, but doesn't work for everything, right? And it didn't really work all that well because, I don't know, like, it wasn't funny. They tried to inject this, like, Guardians of the Galaxy style into it, and it didn't really work out for these bunch of hired killers and mercenaries and stuff, right? Which is why I think they kind of took a great step forward with Wonder Woman, which was fun, but it was it was still serious, but it wasn't dark, right? Well, a movie can be serious without being dark at the same time. And I think DC let Wonder Woman breathe a little bit, and of course Patty Jenkins was great as the director, and Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman herself. And then they went back to the whole Zack Snyder kind of style. And I know he kind of only half-directed Justice League, but that movie had a lot of the same problems that, for example, Batman vs. Superman had, which had the same problems as Man of Steel, and of course they all had the same problems because of Zack Snyder and his vision for those movies. And I'm not saying they're terrible films, but they're pretty subpar. They're mediocre. They're not as good as what they should be for movies that are about Superman and Batman, right? I mean, they're the two most famous superheroes in the world, probably behind Spider-Man. And I'm sure the three of those guys have gone back and forth as the number one most popular guy for a while. And I feel like Superman should be a lot more popular than he is right now in the pop culture world of 2018, right? But he's not, and I feel like a a big part of that is because those movies are not that great. At the very least, Batman, when people think of Batman, they're not really thinking of Ben Affleck, even though I do think that was a cool and unique take on the character. They're thinking of Christian Bale, right? They're thinking of Christian Bale and Heath Ledger and Christopher Nolan and Bane and, you know... Oh, you think darkness is your ally. So, you know, in that sense... um. It's fun to see them do something like Shazam, right? And then Aquaman, the trailer, that movie looks just stupidly colorful. It's directed by James Wan, and I'm excited. I'm really excited to see it, honestly. I I thought I would be kind of down on it, and don't get me wrong. It looks kind of silly. Like they, It feels like they, there was one scene in the trailer where he busts into a submarine and looks kind of looks over his shoulder and smiles and goes, permission to come aboard. And it's kind of like, all right, okay, I, I get it. I've seen that in a thousand different movies in a thousand different ways. And you know what? It's all relatively similar. So I don't know if I really need, I don't know if I need a hundred moments like that in Aquaman because if, if Batman versus Superman, or sorry, if Justice League is any indication, that is what his character is all about, right? But whatever, I'm excited to see him, uh, Jason Momoa, as Aquaman. I'm excited to see Amber Heard. You know, I think it'll be a fun movie. I don't know if I think it's going to be particularly good, but I think it's it's nice to see that DC has embraced the idea of just gently steering away from the grimdark idea, right? And then the other two movies I mentioned, um, Godzilla and the Harry Potter movie, The Crimes of Grindelwald, the Fantastic Beast sequel. Those movies look pretty cool, too. I'm not, not that I'm not excited about Harry Potter, but I feel like I've seen... The trailer we saw at Comic-Con, 
or that was made available to the audiences at Comic-Con, I should say, is not that different from the trailer that's been circulating for months already. I think, I think the only new thing we saw was we saw Johnny Depp's Grindelwald talk to the audience, quote-unquote, the rest of the movie, a little bit, a little bit more, and we got to see Nicholas Flamel, which is kind of cool, who is a major character. He's the one who creates the Philosopher's Stone in the very first Harry Potter book, right? So it's kind of cool to see, but I mean, there's nothing in it that we didn't already see. You know, you'd already seen Jude Law as Dumbledore. You'd already kind of seen Johnny Depp as Grindelwald. So I'm not saying it, it, it looks cool. I'm gonna see it. It's just kind of all right, more of the same, right? Whereas Godzilla, we had not seen any of that stuff, and what a cast that movie seems to have. I did not realize they had cast a lot of people like Vera Farmiga, Cal Chandler, Bradley Whitford, Sally Hawkins, Charles Dance is in it, Ken Watanabe returns, and a Millie Bobby Brown, who is, I believe, uh, seven, I think, from Stranger Things. I've never actually watched Stranger Things, but I know she's in Stranger Things, but again, I've never watched it. But that's a pretty star-studded cast, all things considered. And of course, I guess they cast uh, Mothra, Rodan, and King Ghidorah as well, since they're in the trailer. It looks cool. Honestly, it looks like a lot of fun I am, I'm kind of surprised that King Kong is not actually in this movie. I thought he would be in this movie. I thought they were going to do Godzilla versus King Kong before they got to, you know, three-headed dragon and stuff. But, hey, you know what? I'm not complaining. That, I think, of all the four trailers I saw, I think the Godzilla movie is the one I'm most excited for. And uh, if you remember, we had on Cody Piper to talk about Godzilla, I think I want to say a few months ago it was the godzilla movie that won a million academy awards at the japanese academy awards right because of course godzilla is a japanese creation and cody is a big time godzilla fan he loves it he watches all the anime things like that new netflix series or movie i should say that came out and he watches all the versions of godzilla and he's pretty much an expert far more than i am certainly so i'm excited to get him to come back on next year to talk about Godzilla, King of Monsters. But those are some pretty interesting trailers that they put out at Comic-Con. Hopefully, maybe there's a little more. We'll see. I I wouldn't be surprised if that was it because, of course, they announced that, um, you know, Game of Thrones and all that stuff are skipping it this year. I don't think Disney had a big one this year. And, of course, there was the news that James Gunn was fired from Guardians of the Galaxy series for some old tweets that resurfaced, and I read them. They're not great. They came out in 2008 and it's now 2018, so kind of the early days of Twitter, and he, I, they were dumb. They were really dumb. I'm sad that he was fired, but you know what? They were stupid tweets, and he should know better, even as an adult, right? Because there's that guy, Josh Hader, who pitched for the Milwaukee Brewers, and he tweeted some really awful racist stuff, and he got a standing ovation coming back for playing the Brewers, playing for the Brewers uh, yesterday, right? Which is absolutely stupid, but... On the, same, on the same note, he was 17, so maybe he can be excused. I don't know. Maybe a little more excusable than James Gunn, who is, of course, an adult even 10 years ago. So whatever. Maybe maybe it's hard to say we could have anyone could have predicted the level to which, you know, social media would be involved in our day-to-day lives and how people can be held liable and accountable for it. Of course, you know, the guy who threw... Uh, a beer at the Jays game was fired and men who go up and like kiss reporters or yell things on air and like female reporters, of course, men, men reporters, the male reporters don't have to really deal with that. But we couldn't have really predicted it. At the same time, I think it's always best as to act as though someone is watching or will be watching. I know that's maybe that's a terrible thing to say, you know, maybe that's a really bad thing to say. Oh, someone's always watching. Right. But in any case, I think common sense, I think, dictates that you shouldn't do or say dumb stuff, right? And I can't say I blame Disney for firing him because it's a liability and they don't want they don't want that kind of discussion being associated with one of their more success, success, successful franchises. So 
we'll see who then Disney hires as the next director. But I'm, I'm interested to see the fallout of this in, in all things considered. But you know what? Let's move on. I want to talk about Ghostbusters before we get to the real quote-unquote movies. No, I should, no, that implies that Ghostbusters is not a real movie. I mean, the, the movies, the current movies that I want to talk about on this episode. I don't know. Ghostbusters answer the call... I guess I just never I wasn't really paying attention or maybe because maybe I got caught up with a lot of the bad stuff as well that a lot of people were saying about it. But it's a pretty good movie. You know, I, I, I don't think that it's a comic gem. Certainly, I think Melissa McCarthy's character is probably the weakest character, you know, but like Kristen Wiig's character, Leslie Jones is pretty funny. Kate McKinnon, I think, is easily the star of that movie. This kind of eccentric weirdo who is supposed to be in the Harold Ramis kind of mold i guess i guess she's the only one who i think can be you can look back and say she is this character i guess leslie jones would be like ernie hudson right but i'm not really sure if kristen wig is supposed to be bill murray and melissa mccarthy is supposed to be dan Aykroyd. i'm not sure honestly when they filmed the movie harold ramis had unfortunately passed away so that is that does suck that he couldn't be in it but i mean pretty much every other character was in it right janice the secretary from the original she was in it as a cameo bill murray dan Aykroyd, and ernie hudson all cameoed in it you know, even Slimer cameo. I don't know, is he really a cameo? Because they can just CGI him into existence. But it was cool to see a familiar ghost amidst all the other creative ghosts. The CGI and the effects look really cool. I mean, I feel like if they had just announced that this was a sequel to Ghostbusters instead of a reboot of Ghostbusters, if this was Ghostbusters 3 and Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson were passing the torch along to these women, I feel like the the reaction would have been so much different. And frankly, I, I think this movie is better than Ghostbusters 2. I, I feel like people forget that that movie wasn't that good, I guess. I don't think it was that great. Uh, I, I feel like people just have rose-colored glasses when it comes to the, to the past and nostalgia. And of course, Ghostbusters is a more beloved brand. But I mean, that movie wasn't fantastic. I mean, Ghostbusters 1 is, is brilliant. And I think clearly... They took a lot of inspiration for this new one from one and not two, right? But which it makes sense because the movie is again, like I've said, like five straight times now, not good. But I don't know. I think it's just a lot of crazy, a lot of crazy reaction to this movie in terms of you know its reception and stuff. I mean, I looked at Rotten Tomatoes and it has a seventy-five or is it's in the seventies somewhere. It's certified fresh, and I think that it deserves that. You know, it's there's no way you can tell me you look at the comedies of today and say that this movie is head and shoulders worse than Blockers or Tag, for example, right? Like, those movies are funny, and I enjoyed them, but I also enjoyed Ghostbusters. And I know, comedy is subjective, probably more than anything else, right? Because I think it's easy to look at an action scene and say, oh, man, badass, this guy just did X, Y, and Z, and, you know, this was, this was shown, and that was shown, and that's what makes it fun and interesting and cool to watch, right? Whereas humor, some people's taste in humor might be a little more subjective, or is more subjective than others, right? So, you know, if, if this character does this, and then another character does this, you might laugh, and I might not, right? So, I get it. Comedy is a little more uh, hit or miss, let's say, but it's a pretty funny movie. I thought it was interesting. If you haven't seen it, if you've been say, if you've been one of those people who have been like, oh, I don't know, women Ghostbusters, and honestly, just go see it. It's on Netflix. If you have Netflix, which like eighty five percent of people do now, probably more at this point, but just just give it a few hours and watch it. I watched it last night. Uh, you know, I was killing some time while I was doing some laundry, and I was pleasantly surprised at it again. I think uh, it was nice to rewatch it with some fresh eyes and kind of away from all of the reception issues that were plaguing it when it came out, right? So, anyways, I hope there's a sequel. I think it'd be fun, and maybe they can do some more creative things, right? But Because the villain was probably the most lackluster part. Chris Hemsworth was in it as well, and he gets possessed by the ghost guy. I don't know. 
I don't. I wasn't really a huge fan, but regardless, I think uh, Ghostbusters deserves, at the very least, a second chance. Okay, I've spent a lot of time not talking about the movies I wanted to review on this week's podcast, but I have about 20 minutes left because, like I always say, I want to keep it around 45, right? So we're at around 24, 25 now. So let's get to the movies. Like I kind of mentioned before, Skyscraper is one of the movies we're going to talk about, The Rock's latest adventure. But we're also going to talk about a few others. I saw The Equalizer 2 today, so that's pretty fresh in my mind. And then I also saw two kind of indie movies, you know? Uh, One is called Leave No Trace with Ben Foster, which I believe premiered at Sundance and made its way here to Toronto. Saw it at the TIFF Lightbox. Saw it with a friend of mine, Quentin Amundsen, who I believe you are familiar with from the 90th Academy Awards discussion and the Annihilation Review, right? So Quentin and I went to go see that movie together at the TIFF Lightbox here in Toronto, And uh, I'll talk about that movie very shortly. And I also saw a movie I've been looking forward to for a while. Sorry to bother you. It's by Boots Riley and Lakeith Stanfeld. Tessa Thompson's in it. You know, a lot of really interesting actors. And it's kind of tackles a lot of issues at the same time. So I'm interested to talk about those issues and talk about how the movie kind of represented them, right? So I think to start, though, we'll start with an action movie, and we'll start with The Rock's latest adventure, like I mentioned, aptly named Skyscraper. The Pearl is the tallest, most advanced building in the world. You've built a vertical city, but you've brought with it every single safety and security challenge that I could think of. Not including Skyscraper, okay? The last five movies The Rock has done, in order, uh, in descending order, let's say, right, are Rampage, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Baywatch, The Fate of the Furious, which of course was Fast and the Furious 8, if you've forgotten, and Moana, the Disney movie. And if you go back one more, it's Central Intelligence, right? So that goes back to 2016. The Rock's filmography is so interesting because Jumanji, for example, is a pretty good film, right? And I think it has somewhat to do with him, but it also is because Kevin Hart, Jack Black, and Karen Gillan are all in that movie who are all fantastic, right? I talked about that on this very podcast. While he is great, it's elevated by those three as well, right? Then you have The Fate of the Furious, which, of course, is more or less an ensemble movie. I mean, he's great in it. I mean, Hobbs, his character is a fun character, and his interplay with Jason Statham was so fun that they're making a Hobbs and Shaw movie, right? So that's fine. But And then Moana, I feel like you can't really attribute to The Rock because... It's a Disney movie, right? Disney Disney just cast him and wrote everything, right? He didn't really have much else to do with it other than lend his voice to Maui, right? So let's look at the other ones, right? Central Intelligence, Rampage, and Skyscraper. Oh, and Baywatch, of course. I, for, I actually forgot about Baywatch. That movie was so crap, right? Like, you know, I'll clearly know where I stand on Baywatch. I talked about it on the podcast, but the movie was garbage, okay? That movie was a comedy that wasn't funny, it just had a bunch of really pretty people in it doing really stupid things and talking about fart and dick jokes, right? It was really bad, and The Rock actively picked that movie, just like he actively picked Central Intelligence, Rampage, and Skyscraper. And Central Intelligence at least was funny because it had Kevin Hart in it, right? It, had, it was funny because it had the kind of twist going for it where The Rock was the meek one even though he was in this giant body and the Kevin Hart was, you know, the aggressive one and then they kind of swapped the roles a few times based on how the movie starts. This is not a Central Intelligence review. It's a good movie, though. I think you should watch it. It's kind of funny. But Baywatch, Rampage, and now Skyscraper are all relatively mediocre. Rampage is so much better than Skyscraper, it makes my head spin. Like, 
What really bothers me about Skyscraper, and I'm trying to keep these reviews short because of all the other things we, we, we talked about this episode, but... Oh, I don't know. Skyscraper is, it's like a diehard ripoff. And I know that it's probably intentionally meant to be a ripoff. But my question to you is, at what point does a movie go from being an homage to a ripoff? I'm not honestly, I'm honestly not sure, right? Because like, like there's so many things about it, like the person on the ground, well, the person on the tower is doing all the thrilling heroics and all this stuff and, you know, the cop and I don't know, like there's a part in the movie I think pretty early on where we get introduced to the rock at the very beginning via a, a mission that goes awry and he loses his leg. And as you saw in the trailer, he has a, you know, a prosthetic leg and struggle with the word there for a second, a prosthetic leg. And, uh, yeah, it's featured very prominently in the trailer. And that's how they kind of set up the movie. And then, you know, it's like fast forward eight years and he's married to the doctor who saved his life and they have two kids and he's now his private little security company is contracting out and he meets his old friend who you saw in the intro, who is a member of their little squad. He got, he has some scarring, I guess, but he's like, seems to be fine. And I turned to my friend and like I said, I don't make a mention or I don't make a habit of, you know, mentioning things to my friends during movies, but I kind of whispered to my, my roommate and said, I bet you. His friend is evil. And I, I shit you not, in 30 seconds, that guy was revealed to be the bad guy. Some text message chain being like, he's gotten on the boat. I'm going to kill him or something like that, right? And you're kind of going, okay, all right. I guess the action has to start sometime, so at least they didn't wait. But it just, it was such a silly concept to begin with. And then they kind of just rip off Die Hard. Like, my, my big problem with this movie is that it was actually directed by the same guy who directed Central Intelligence. And while, where that movie was hilarious skyscraper is not that funny a lot of it a lot of it's because the rock is supposed to be this every man who's put into this situation even though he's not an every man he's some kind of special forces hostage negotiator who was discharged from the army after he lost his leg but they tried to paint him as an every man and it's not funny like they, they didn't have him cracking jokes or maybe it's because there weren't a lot of people for him to crack jokes with he's just trying to rescue his two kids and his wife and he does so and then he goes and kills the other terrorist guys extremely brutally it's actually a pretty funny scene near, near the end where and i say funny unintentionally it's not it was certainly not meant to be funny but at the beginning of the movie he gets a tour of the the uh, skyscraper the pearl as it's called and the pearl actual like the pearl shaped sphere that sits at the very top of the tower inside of it i guess it's supposed to be kind of like a cinesphere that you know uses all these crazy technology and all these like mirror things to project an um, an image of the outside world you know like you're kind of walking on the glass at the cn tower for those of you who've never been there it's pretty cool but it's like that but everywhere right it's like you're standing inside an invisible bubble and you can see the whole world right there's no reason for him to have built that it's supposed to be something like the eighth wonder of the world or the 12th wonder of the world or whatever the hell it's supposed to be and what? What's the purpose of that room? Let me tell you, it's so they can have an interesting fake-out action scene at the end of the movie. It, it serves no other purpose than to just say, basically scream at the audience, hey, remember this room? We're going to do some crazy shit in here, <laughs> right? I don't know. And the movie was just, the action was cool. Don't get me wrong. Like The CGI was really interesting. I saw it in 3D, and there's actually a scene where The Rock is climbing up the side of the building with duct tape or something. And he looks down... And the vertigo, it actually inspires vertigo in you. My stomach kind of roiled, although I wasn't sure if that was because of the film using vertigo correctly. I don't know if that's the right term, but correctly or, you know, if it was a 3D not being quite right. Because if you looked at 
let's say, the glass panels of the skyscraper while the rock is looking down, you can kind of see two glass panels layered on top of one another. And I couldn't tell if it was because my glasses weren't on correctly or if, because, or if that was an intentional thing because it made, it made my head hurt, and then, which in turn made my stomach hurt, which I think, was in, I think was intentional. But because the rest of the movie was so bad, I can't tell, you know? The other funny part was at the very end when the cop, the... Uh, Asian cop, because this movie takes place in in Hong Kong, the Asian cop who has never spoken to The Rock. He has never interacted with him, not even over to the radio like the black cop and Bruce Willis do in Die Hard. And then at the end of that movie, they go, oh, nice to finally meet you, right? And at the end of this movie, the Asian cop introduces himself to The Rock and goes, nice to finally meet you, as if they're friends or as if they've been communicating this whole time. Clearly that was put in there as a Die Hard reference, right? And of course the duct tape was a reference and they have like, you know, all all sorts of references to Die Hard in the movie. I don't know, it's just not... The movie was subpar. You know what? And I'm kind of mad that I used one of my two cinema tickets to go see... Die Hard, or I'm sorry, to go see Skyscraper. <laughs> That's how similar it is to Die Hard. I was shocked. It's pretty funny, actually. When we were walking into another movie, when actually we were walking in to go see Sorry to Bother You, I think people were coming out of seeing a Skyscraper later, like in a different showing. And I remember, and I'd already seen Skyscraper at this point, and I remember hearing the person talking to their friend, and they go, so, you know... That movie kind of sucked. You know, you should just see Die Hard. And you know what? That's my review of this movie. That's my one sentence review review of this movie. Thanks to whoever you are, listener. I hope I hope you listen to the podcast. But thank you because I'm stealing your review. Don't see Skyscraper. Just go see Die Hard. Okay, time to mix in one of the two indie movies I saw. We're doing four movies in the podcast this week, so I'm going to kind of go through them relatively quickly here. But Leave No Trace, one of the more interesting movies I think I've seen all year. Not a lot of dialogue in the movie, but. Pretty interesting film, premiered at Sundance, like I said. So without further ado, the review for Leave No Trace. I kind of had a hard time picking music for Leave No Trace because the the movie doesn't really have a lot of kind of pop music, if that makes sense, right? It's a lot of acoustic guitar, a lot of kind of orchestral background music, so that's all we went with, but, you know, it's a very peaceful movie. The, the movie's plot, in a nutshell, okay, is, if you're not familiar, is Ben Foster, who is probably the only actor who's super famous. There are some other relatively noticeable actors, but Ben Foster is the only one worth mentioning, I feel like, because he's the star, of course. Uh, He lives in the wilderness. I believe they're living in the northwest United States, like in Oregon somewhere, I believe, right? And they live on a national park, the grounds of a national park. And you learn over the course of the intro that he lives there with his daughter. His, I think she's like 13 or 14. She's She's a teenager. And the father is a former Marine or a former vet at the very least. And he has PTSD, and the only way he could cope with the PTSD after his wife died is moving away from machinery and cities and people and TVs and all that stuff. And so he and his daughter live off the grid in a national park in Oregon, right? And it's pretty interesting. They spend the vast majority of the movie kind of just on their own, just the two of them. Tom is the character's name, the daughter's character. She is portrayed by Thomason McKenzie, who I've not seen in movies before. I think this is like her first feature film. She's from New Zealand, but she's pretty good in this movie. I I quite liked her. She's pretty uh pretty interesting. 
And the movie is pretty much more or less the two of them, right? It's pretty much just the two of them living on their own. And then a small mistake, a runner sees her in the forest and it derails their lives. He thinks maybe she's lost and they send police out to find her. And of course, child services comes to take her away. And then they have to go on the run again. And they, they, and they kind of bounce from place to place. And when they find a place that the, the child, Tom, actually likes, because of course she's not used to living with people, when they actually find a place that she likes, then the dad realizes he can't cope with it. And it's kind of sad because it's about how he, can, he can't cope, but she can because, of course, she does not have PTSD, right? And, of course, a 13-year-old kid, boy or girl, needs, you know, socialization to kind of move forward in the world. And it's about wh- whether the father can do what's right for the girl and himself, which you learn is not the case, unfortunately, right? The movie has a relatively happy ending, but it's, I think it's a bittersweet ending, the movie is just fantastic, you know. I think this Ben, this is one of Ben Foster's best performances. I don't know that it's 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 a big enough movie to kind of warrant Oscar consideration, even though I think it should, at the very least, for Ben Foster, right? And of course, on the, on the other hand, it depends on the other performances that have yet to come out this year. I mean, it's only July, and we're going to get a lot of the Oscar movies coming out starting probably in September, right? So. This movie's been out for a while, maybe because it hasn't hit wide release. I think the only place it's playing was at the Tiff Lightbox here in Toronto. And before that, it hadn't made its way anywhere else. So maybe this will be one of the kind of performance movies that garners some Oscar attention later on in the year. But as far as I can tell, it's a very sweet, heartfelt movie. A lot of really cool shots of nature. I think that was my favorite part of this movie. So many great shots of nature. kind of starts with a shot of a spider web, and then you see the same spider web, but a little damaged. A little damaged, but it's still kind of hanging on at the end. And I think that's supposed to signify their relationship or their family or maybe even just the daughter. I think you can, you can read into it any number of ways you want. And it was really cool to see, right? It was almost like it persists, but, you know, things happen to it. And, of course, like I said, you can read it in any way you want in terms of whether it's about the dad, the daughter, both of them, their relationship, you know, the state of life in general. It was a, it was a very quiet kind of movie. There was some there were some comedic moments, but you kind of... They, they, they used the other characters, the, the non-two main characters, characters, in order to portray how much the PTSD affected Ben Foster's guy, right? Like, he, get, he gets put to work on a farm, and they're, or not a farm, I should say, a tree farm, I guess it is, what, is what it is. They cut down, you know, pine trees to send all over the world for Christmas decorations, and, you know, he's working with heavy machinery, there are helicopters flying overhead, and you see that he's clearly not able to cope. They're put in a house with a TV, and he takes a TV out of the wall and puts it in his closet because he can't deal with electronics. It was very interesting to see him portray this character and it was it made me a little sad for him because you know there are people like that in real life right you know those people exist and it's just kind of hard to see but at the same time the performance i think of ben foster is one to look out for that is easily the highlight of this movie and easily the second highlight is thomas and mckenzie she's fantastic i think i misspoke earlier when i said that this was her feature film debut but it was at least i think her debut in a large movie with a huge hollywood actor like ben foster i mean he's not like daniel day lewis certainly but i mean ben foster is pretty instantly recognizable at least for me i mean he was in hell or high water and 310 to yuma two of my favorite movies of the past several years so that was pretty cool but she is a star and i'm looking forward to seeing what she does next but let's keep an eye on leave no trace let's make a note of it right now on episode 26 of its showtime so we'll see in a few months if it garners any oscar attention because then we then you and i can both say we told you so 
We're really mixing it up today, so let's get back to the big-time movies. I, I, maybe big-time is the wrong word, because other movies are big-time as well. It's just the uh, action-packed movies, let's say. Maybe that's even a, maybe that's even a wrong terminology as well, because Sorry to Bother You is pretty action-packed, I would say. Maybe, maybe I should just leave it and say action. Straight action movie. Skyscraper was a straight action movie. So now, the other straight action movie, The Equalizer 2 with Denzel Washington. When the first Equalizer movie came out, it was pretty interesting. I actually got to go to a talk at TIFF. I think it was right after Equalizer had come out. And Antoine Fuqua, who was the director of the first one and his return for the second one, and Denzel Washington, they were both there. And that was when they kind of announced The Magnificent Seven, which premiered at TIFF, I believe, a few years later. Next year or the year after. I forget when. But regardless, uh, The Equalizer came out and they were there to talk about... I think they were there to promote the film, but they were also there to talk about kind of their ideas on filmmaking and Antoine Fuqua said this kind of interesting idea on his his thoughts and his thought process on internal violence and what internal violence meant as opposed to external violence. And I, I always wish I had asked him in a little more detail, but he, ta- he used the equalizer as an example of uh, external violence, right? Because you see a lot of Denzel Washington just, you know, like in the first one, there's a scene where he picks up a shot glass and he like gouges a guy's eyes out and he kills a bunch of people while he's like timing himself. And, you know, I think the story essentially is he's a, he's essentially an ex special forces, ex army, ex marine, whatever you want to call it, ex army ranger. I don't know. Right. Who knows where all the branches of the U.S. military are, but he was some kind of highly trained operative and he is pretends to be dead so he can or he, he, he has faked his own death a long time ago. And now he uses intel from an old friend of his who helps his cover and he goes and eliminates people who do horrible things right so the first movie he goes and helps a family get back to a little girl they kidnapped who was like you know i think she was being sold into slavery or you know as a sex toy or something horrible right and he goes and he saves her right so at the beginning of equalizer 2 He's kind of doing the same thing. He's on a train to Turkey and he rescues a little girl and you later learn there's no reason behind it. He's just helping random people because bad things have happened to them for no, for not for no reason, but because, you know, bad things have happened and they can't get themselves out of it. Right. And in this movie, the plot essentially is that his friend from the first one, Susan Plummer, who is, I believe, played by Melissa Leo, and she is killed while investigating a an op that her agency was kind of involved with like an operative of theirs was killed an asset of theirs and she was investigating and was killed to kind of cover up or to stop her investigation so of course denzel washington's character goes all out and equalizes right it's not a bad movie it's not it's just there's not a lot of action in it for a straight action movie like i was just talking about before we got into this review there's not a lot of action. It's weird. You know, he's a Lyft driver, which is kind of funny. I kind of wonder how much Lyft had to pay for uh, those rides. I mean, clearly being a rideshare driver was something that they really wanted to put in there. So I wonder if they had to ask Lyft's permission and Lyft pay them for it or if they had to pay Lyft. Or I wonder how Uber played into it because, I mean, Uber and Lyft are the two big ones, right? I just find it kind of interesting. But regardless, the movie didn't have a lot of action in it. There was an action sequence at the very beginning that's there for about five minutes when he's on the train, like I mentioned. Then there's another action sequence where he involves himself with... um, Actually, you know what? 
the second action sequence isn't even doesn't even involve him. The second action sequence involves Melissa Leo's character being killed, and another action sequence involves the asset being killed, being set up at the beginning as well, right? So in action sequences that involve Denzel Washington specifically are the one at the beginning. There's one where he goes to this kind of drug dealer's hotel apartment building, let's say. There's a, there's a third one where he is attacked in his car, and then there's the final one in the movie. That's four. There are four action sequences in this two-hour movie with Denzel Washington. I don't know if it's because he's old now. I think Denzel Washington is in his early 60s. I don't know if it's just because they didn't want to have him doing all these crazy things at that age. I mean, obviously, he was a stunt double, but I mean... They didn't want to push the limits of believability too much. It was just kind of interesting, I guess. It, it wasn't really a lot of the action that I was kind of hoping to see. It wasn't quite taken. And I mean, taken and the equalizer and, and you know, there's a movie coming out called Peppermint. That's with Jennifer Garner. They're these kind of movies that revitalize, you know, the old quote unquote action hero. And they're, they're not bad, certainly. Right. I mean, I think taken two and three are worse than taken one. And in that same, in that same regard, Equalizer 2 is worse than the Equalizer 1, right? I mean, it's based on a TV show, I know, but I don't know. It's just, I think this movie could have been either made better or they could have just used Denzel Washington in a different movie and he could have just skipped making this one altogether. It's not bad. It's just like relatively mediocre. And I'm, I kind of regret I didn't go see it on a Tuesday because it just was kind of okay. The other main character, other than Melissa Leo, who dies pretty early on, is Pedro Pascal, who, surprise, is the bad guy, right? I mean, from the moment you meet him, he is the bad guy. I I mean, I went, by, I went to see by myself, so there was no one I could lean over to say, I bet he's the bad guy, but I guarantee everyone in the theater was thinking the same thing because it wasn't particularly well hidden. At the very least, their confrontation at the end, even though they kind of didn't have a lot of action leading up to it, when they actually go to this small little Massachusetts or Maine or, you know, northeastern town in the middle of a storm, it was really cool because it wasn't your typical setting. It was a tiny little homey little town, and it's un- it was kind of being evacuated in the middle of a kind of hurricane-level storm. And so he lures the bad guys there and kind of uses the location, which he is intimately familiar with, because as you learn late- at the end of the movie, that's where his- he and his wife, who had since passed away, lived. It was, it was, just, it was, it was well-done action sequence, but it-, it was kind of disappointing because it was a 20-minute sequence, or a 15-minute sequence, let's say, where the rest of the movie was, what, an hour and 40 minutes? So, I mean, for, for an hour and 40 minutes, you kind of sit there with your your face in your hands or kind of just propped up on your on your knuckles there, like gazing kind of dully at the theater, and then, and then it kicks into high gear. Honestly, I th- there was a point where I thought the movie was going to end, and there, there actually had not been, they hadn't come to this sequence yet, and I was kind of surprised, and I was kind of thinking, like, is this, is this it? And then they kind of went all out with the final action sequence, which I will freely admit was awesome. It was cool to see Denzel Washington, I almost said The Rock, but it was cool to see Denzel fight these guys, fight Pedro Pascal, who you learn is an old buddy of his, and I don't know, it was, it was interesting. Pascal's a great actor. I think he should do villain more, roles more often. I think that I would love to see. Uh, at, the same, at the same time, I would love to see Denzel do some more villainous roles. It'd be really cool to see him do like a Marvel villain role. I know that's wishful thinking. I don't think Denzel Washington is ever going to be in a, in a Marvel movie, but if I'm wrong, I really hope it's an awesome role. Like, I don't know. I don't even know what it possibly could be, but it would be neat to see him in a movie kind of in the same way that Robert Redford was, right? Anyways, back to Equalizer 2. I think it's one of those movies that's worth seeing maybe on a Tuesday, on a cheap night, or if you have a gift card or something like that, because it is entertaining if you like action movies. It's just not... uh, Ultimately, I think it's kind of average. 
probably the most interesting movie on this list. I would have put Leave No Trace number one. It probably was number one, even including The Equalizer 2 and Skyscraper, right up until I saw Sorry to Bother You. That movie is fantastic. It's so visually interesting. The, the music is fantastic. So I want to get into it really quickly. I'm not going to go into a deep dive of all the metaphors and issues that it talks about, but I think it's important to talk about them at least a little bit because it tackles so many of them. So again, without further ado, Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. song i think i kind of love just having it on my phone just to walk around to like on spotify or whatever and i work at a radio station so it's kind of cool whenever i produce the shows i want to make the technical director slash board op just play that song as an intro to a segment that maybe i'm on because it's just such a fun cool song to listen to at least the intro right anyway so sorry to bother you boots riley's directorial debut what a fantastic movie honestly like i said in the intro it stars lakeith stanfield from atlanta he was also in get out it uh, stars Tessa Thompson, a lot of other people, and Stephen Young from The Walking Dead is in, and he's a big role as well. Uh, Army Hammer, he's kind of like the bad guy as far as bad guys go. And let me just say off the top, this movie has a twist in it. I'm not going to spoil the twist, because I, I guess you could consider Get Out as having a twist, but you knew something bad was happening, you just didn't know what was happening, right? So... That's the kind. It's kind of the same thing. And sorry to bother you. You know something bad is going on in the background. You're not sure as to what, and it's about kind of what level to which are you, the viewer, but also are you the person in the situation as Cash? His name is Cassius, but Cassius Green. So of course, and and then he says his nickname is Cash. So you know, Cash Green. Of course, we get it, right? His character is all about money. So it's not surprising to see that when he starts working at a call center. You know, when all the workers rise up and say, we deserve to be paid fairly for the amount of work we do, he doesn't band together with them right away because because he's all about that cash, right? And his kind of counterculture rebel girlfriend, who, as you learn later on, is a member of the left eye, which is a kind of, you know, movement in this... I don't know what if I don't want to say fictional, but in this alternate reality Los Angeles where bad things are happening and corporations rule the world. Oh, hey, maybe that's the real world after all, right? But anyway, regardless... It kind of causes friction between them when he goes on and becomes a power caller at this call center and she is struggling and she feels like he's sold out and all this stuff. I feel like the movie tries to tackle a lot of issues, right? It tackles poverty, it tackles, you know, money levels and it tackles racism and it tackles exploitation of workers. I think while it does tackle a lot of those issues, I think the clearest issue it does go after, whereas Get Out's clearest issue is racism, right? And inherent racism, implicit racism. The inherent issue in Sorry to Bother You is poverty, right? It's And it's exploitation of work, and it's doing a job so dreary and so dull that you would do anything to escape it, right? And tr- struggling to make ends meet so you do anything to escape it, right? And then there are people who take advantage of you because they know you're struggling to make ends meet. And we've been there, right? It happens, I'm not saying it's okay, don't get me wrong. I know it's, that's what it maybe sounded like. I Don't get me wrong, that's not okay in any way, shape, or form. But 
the movie takes that issue and explores it in such a fascinating way. Sometimes it's a little on the nose, right? The, I, I can't really discuss the movie's twist or the ending of the movie without discussing the twist, I should say, but it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic film, visually stunning, right? And I love the idea of having to use your white voice to sell things to people, right? Because of course, Cassius is black, Tessa Thompson is black, a lot of his friends are black. Stephen Young, of course, is not black, but I mean, he's not white either. And Danny Glover, whose cameos is in it, even makes a little reference to, he says, uh, I'm too old for this shit, which is kind of funny, right? But he teaches Cassius about using his white voice and you get other members of the, of Hollywood who voice their white characters, right? I believe Patton Oswalt's in it, David Cross. And it's a really cool idea. And they do a great job of emoting solely through their voice. And of course they have very recognizable voices. And, um, Cassius's voice is so good that he becomes a power caller and later earns the attention of Army Hammer's character, who is the CEO of the evil corporation that kind of starts all this shit, right? So in that sense, it's really cool how they piece it all together. I don't want to spoil it because I think it's one of those movies you need to see for yourself. You need to make your own interpretation of it. Even though I think it's about exploitation of work and poverty, I think you might take something different away from it as well, right? If the intro song to this segment is any indication, the, the entire soundtrack is like that. The entire soundtrack is fantastic. I, I, I feel like that could be one of the albums I buy because I don't really buy a lot of music. I just use Spotify or listen to it on the radio when I'm driving to and from places, right? So in that sense, I think it's really cool that the entire soundtrack is so unique sounding. And there's some other interesting tidbits about it as well. Like I mentioned the white voices and Tessa Thompson's character is all about not submitting and being a rebel and rebelling against the, the, the institutions that keep you down and keep one oppressed, right? And Cassius is reluctant at first and it gets him into trouble, hence the twist of the movie. And then, you know, he kind of comes around at the end and decides that he wants to, in fact, you know, affect change. And it's hard to affect change in real life. I think that's another core message of the movie as well, that it's hard to go against something that you want versus something that's right. And I personally have been there, right? I mean, I used to work for CIBC, a bank here in Canada, and I'm not saying they did anything evil. I actually liked my job, but it made a lot of money, but it wasn't what I loved, right? It didn't really do anything different. And certainly now that I'm working at a radio station, I don't make as much money, but it's something I enjoy a lot more. And I'm not saying that going from a bank to a radio station is exactly affecting change, right? I mean, I talk about sports. I work in the toy department as it is. But at the same time, it's interesting to see a subject that I have seen my family members, my friends struggle with and see it put into form like this, even if it is a little on the nose, which I think is perhaps my only real criticism of Sorry to Bother You, whereas I feel like Get Out, again, had a lot of on the nose, but I think it was done, it was presented to you in a different way that didn't make you go, oh, okay, that's what they're going for, right? Anyways, Sorry to Bother You is definitely one of the most visually interesting, stimulating movies I've seen all year. Probably, I don't know if it's my favorite movie I've seen all year, but it's up there. I think it's one of the five best movies I've seen in 2018 so far, and I can definitely see it getting some kind of nod at the Oscars. I I don't want to always say it's good because it gets Oscar attention. I know that's not the case. There are plenty of movies that get snubbed. The Oscars are kind of a circle jerk anyways. I like them regardless, but 
sorry to bother you, deserves recognition on a global level. And that's what I mean. That's what I mean when I say, oh, we'll see if it gets uh, Oscar noms, right? Like Ben Foster's performance in Leave No Trace deserves recognition. In the same sense, sorry to bother you, Boots Riley's work, the work of the actors, the music, it all deserves recognition. And I, I really hope people go out to see it in theaters like I did because... I know I'm the kind of person who sees more or less every movie, like all the bad movies like Baywatch and stuff and all the good movies like this, right? So in that sense, I do really, really, really hope people go see it. It's worth your time. Even if you don't think you, you even if you think you might not be interested in, in the idea, the ideas it presents to you, I think it's worth checking out because it causes you to think about things in a new fashion. And you know what? I think that's something that is missing from a lot of movies. It's some, it's, it's one thing to go see The Equalizer 2 and have Denzel Washington kill a bunch of people in front of you on screen. And it's another thing to have your brain and ideas that you don't always think about be challenged in some way, right? So for that reason alone, I think you should go see Sorry to Bother You. But if you do go see it, you'll be pleasantly surprised with the movie, the performances, the directorial vision, all that stuff. So please go see it in theaters as soon as you can. Well, looking at the time, I clearly have taken up far more than 45 minutes, pushing an hour, which I'm sorry, I don't, I don't like doing that, but there was just a lot to get to this week. You know, I didn't really intend to talk about cinema, but that I, it was interesting, a discussion, and then the Comic-Con trailers, and then the James Gunn thing happened, and then I saw Ghostbusters. Maybe I could have left the Ghostbusters thing out, but you know what? It deserves a second chance. I'm not going to die on that hill, but, you know, I'll start walking up the hill. Let's say that, right? And then, of course, all the movies, Skyscraper, Leave No Trace, Equalizer 2, and as you just heard, sorry to bother you, right? Next week will be a little fun. I got a guest lined up. I'm doing the interview in a few days, and maybe we'll get this review, this episode out a little early. I'm not going to spoil who the guest is, although the interview has been confirmed, so that's very exciting, but it's about Mission Impossible Fallout, which by all accounts is going to be one of the best movies of the summer. I'm very excited. I try not to let myself get too excited with like hype and you know expectations being high, so you guys have heard me talk about expectations ad nauseum, right? There's such a thing as having two high expectations, having low expectations, and whether or not they're exceeded is up to you, certainly, but I'm trying not to get too excited, but I am seeing the movie tomorrow, so we will see, we will see how good Mission Impossible Fallout actually is, but for now, you have been listening to the Showtime Movie Podcast, this has been episode 26, thank you as always for listening, have a good night! She give me what I wanna Boss so hard, need a warm-up I back that at the warm-up yeah. Big time a stunner I'm out here on the come-up